Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. So this morning, as we go through the Good Book series in the Old Testament, and there's a devotional accompaniment called the Good Book, we're looking at a familiar portion of Scripture. And maybe it's familiar and we can all say, ouch, because it involves the Ten Commandments. And the question that everyone wants to know, I think, is are these commandments still relevant today? I mean, they weren't suggestions at the very beginning. They were commandments, and that's why it starts with, thou shalt not, or you should And so we want to take a look at these important uh, words and find out, do we still have to live by them today, even though we're New Testament Christians? Maybe another question is, can we pick and choose which commandments we want to follow? Are any of them outdated? Or if Jesus came to fulfill the law, aren't they irrelevant already, since we are no longer under law but grace? And I want to answer the question by asking, or answer the question by asking you another question. Here it is. Do people still sin? Do they break the commandments today? And the obvious answer is? So you're thinking of everyone else. Now let me get a little more personal here. Do you still sin? Have you broken a commandment here or there? Now don't put up your hand if you broke all of them. You know, God knows that. But you're in the right place if you have. See, the great thing about the commandments are they point us to our need of a Savior and how God can make the difference in our lives because of his choice to love us and to forgive us, but also to change us. So you are the answer to the question, are they still relevant? I am the answer. I still sin. Christians everywhere still sin, but we're saved sinners. Now, that doesn't mean we can keep on breaking the commandments because we know God will forgive us. When you look at the New Testament, which we'll look at soon, about Jesus Christ, how he came to fulfill the law, we realize under grace it's more than the law. You know, it it talks about we shouldn't just do the minimum, but we should do more than the maximum. And by that I mean it's not human effort. It's not what we do or what we work for as Christians. It's why. Why? why we do what we do. And that's because we are saved. And because we're saved and we follow Jesus Christ, he invites us to take up our cross and deny him, which, yes, fulfills all the Ten Commandments to not just to the best of our ability, but he wants to help us by his spirit to honor him and live for him and to bring honor and glory in the way that we think, say, and do. So we don't keep the law to save ourselves. That's impossible. We obey Jesus Christ, follow him, which actually takes care of the Ten Commandments and everything that God intended in the first place because we are saved. And that's a big difference. So if you're trying to take care of everything in a legal way, you're only going to frustrate yourself. And I want to just take that burden off your back and say, follow Jesus Christ who's full of grace and truth, it says in John chapter 1, so you could live in freedom the way God always intended to, but not in your own strength or merit or goodness or works, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, who's a comforter and guide that he gave us when he ascended into heaven. That's good news, isn't it? Yes, as Christians, we still fall short of the glory of God. We still sin, but we can be forgiven, and God will help us 
pick us up and say, we can do this together. Let's keep going in the right direction, which is becoming more like Jesus Christ. So yes, they are still relevant. But there's more to them once Jesus Christ came. He came not to abolish them, Scripture says, but to fulfill them. And this is what he says in Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. In the NLT, Jesus says, No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And that was to point our need to a Savior. And Jesus Christ fulfilled all the requirements of the Old Testament, and he himself became the ultimate sacrifice, dying on the cross, sinless, perfect, very God and very man for our sins because the law could not save us. It could only point to our need to be saved. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross? At the end of the service today, we're going to take communion, and if you're visiting from another church or you're a brand-new Christian, uh, this is an open communion for people of faith in Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate all that Jesus has done for us, the atonement, the sacrifice at that one moment that forgave us of our sins and gave us hope. So through Christ and our relationship to God's law can be clarified. See, Jesus, if he didn't come to abolish the law but fulfill it, does that mean that all the Old Testament laws still apply to us today? Now, there's, there are a lot more laws than the Ten Commandments. I just want to let you know that. I'm going to put them. There's three categories. There's the ceremonial law, there's the civil law, and then there's the moral law. The ceremonial law related specifically to Israel's worship. And his point was to, the purpose was to point people forward to Jesus Christ. And these laws were no longer necessary then when Jesus died and resurrected. Although we're not bound anymore by those ceremonial laws, the principles behind them to worship and to love a holy God still apply. The price had to be paid for our sins. And we don't take it lightly, do we? It cost Jesus his very life that we would be free. The civil law, that applied to daily living in Israel. And uh, in our modern society and culture, it would look a lot different than those times and in that setting. So not all those civil law guidelines that you read in Leviticus are to be taken literally for us today. But the principles are there, and they should help guide our conduct out of respect for one another and how we treat the Lord. So there's principles that even Jesus abided by. There's the moral law, and that's the Ten Commandments, and that's what we're going to be focusing on today. And the Ten Commandments are direct commands of God requiring strict obedience and the moral law, what it does, and the reason that Jesus, or God gave it to the Israelites was to reveal his nature, to reveal his will for the people of God as they were taken out of Egypt, as they were taken out of bondage, as they were now free. He knew that they needed ten guidelines, ten words, ten commandments. Not to make them miserable, not to say, listen, I'm still going to have my thumb on you. But because he cared, because he was gracious, because he was merciful, because out of his heart of love, he knew that they needed these commandments. And so, yes, the moral law still applies today. Jesus obeyed the moral law completely, and he fulfills it, and he invites us to live in a way that would honor God. 
And that's why the Ten Commandments were set up. When you think of commandment, the Ten Commandments, I want you as New Testament Christians to be mindful that it is a covenant. It is an agreement. It's not just hard, fast rules and laws, but God, out of his love, said, this is so important for you, it will help you as a nation because I care for you. And I want to use you as a nation to demonstrate what living for God looks like in the world of polytheism all around you. As you've come out of Egypt, you have a brand new opportunity. We're forming this nation. You're going to the promised land. So to get to the promised land, not just physically, but spiritually, I want to shape you as a people. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if at the end of our life, after being a Christian for, let's say, 50, 60 years, there was no spiritual growth in our life? No one could measure, no one can see a difference in our life, but yet we say that we're saved. It just wouldn't be that individual who missed out on growth. It would be the opportunities and the potential of reaching others with the good news that Jesus Christ not only saves, but changes us by his Holy Spirit to make us more like Jesus Christ. So these commandments were based out of a covenant, an agreement, a partnership, that together the people of Israel can follow God with his help, his guidance, his guarding, and his keeping so that they could become what he knew he could make them. Matthew 22, verse 37 and 40, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So this great commandment that Jesus is referring to in the second one covers the Ten Commandments because he's talking about a vertical relationship with God and a horizontal relationship with everyone else. And that's what the Ten Commandments covered as well. So let me give you a bit of background if you're sort of new to church or maybe you haven't read the Old Testament. Maybe you started out reading in the Gospel of John. Gideon's Bibles are great. There's, there's just a little gospel that maybe you've received. And that's a great book of the Bible to read and to understand God and his great love for us. But I'm going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to go back to the Exodus to understand the Ten Commandments. See, God revealed himself to Moses when he called him to go back to Egypt as I am that I am. And with mighty power and all the demonstrations through the plagues, finally, Pharaoh let God's people go. And you know that story. And that was after the Israelites had put the blood on their doorposts that the death angel would go by them. That was by faith that God would provide for their needs and that he would set them free. And so the Israelites, along with some Egyptians who started to believe in God, said, we're going with you. They left Egypt, one to three million, walking out of Egypt, not as beaten slaves, but victorious people of God, all because of God. So they walk out as free, no longer in bondage, with all the material back pay of 400 years of slavery. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many think that one to three million people walking around in the desert would need some rules? How many think that's a good idea? I certainly do. How many think that Canada needs rules, even though we're a really nice, apathetic country? Yes, we need those. What about churches? Think it's good as we come together 
that uh, we do have some guidelines and some rules in Scripture and admonition. You take a look at Corinthians. Paul is addressing how we can work together and some frameworks and how to deal with issues so we can grow and honor the Lord in how we get along with each other and how we process challenges. Okay, so the church, that's getting a little more personal, right? Because you're here. What about families? Families, do you have any rules? Who does dishes? Who cleans up? You know, if you barbecue, do you do dishes as well? I don't know. Raising children, you probably have rules, right? Sure, rules are not to actually make us miserable in a family. It's to say, listen, because you're family, everyone has responsibility, and this is how we get along together. I don't know if I shared this before, but my sister, I remember Bets Marie, um, when she was a teenager, she really had a hard time with rules and curfew and all that kind of stuff, and she was the youngest. And she had a friend who had no rules. The parents had no expectations on her whatsoever. And Bethany thought, well, that would be pretty good. I can do what I want, when I want, whatever I want, just like my friend. But yet our family, my parents, had rules and guidelines because they loved her and cared for her and wanted her to feel safe and protected and that we would know or my parents would know where she was. Here's the thing that changed her mind about the whole thing. Her friend Susan said, you know what? My parents really don't care what I do, where I go, how late I stay out. I wish I had parents like you. You are so fortunate. That changed Beth Marie's mentality. And she started realizing, yeah, my parents do care for me. See, that's what the Ten Commandments are about. If they came out of Egypt free with all the spoils and they could do whatever they want, whenever they want, to whomever they want, there would be chaos. They would not become the people of God that he knew they could be. And out of his love and care and compassion, grace and mercy, he put these things into play for their benefit so that the world around them would know that they are a special people. That's how we have to look at what is happening here. The Ten Commandments then are to help us. They're to shape the Israelite community because of his love and grace. So just in case you forgot them, I'll put them up, but the Ten Commandments, there was a little girl, Mary, and her Bible school teacher asked her to list the Ten Commandments in any order. And her answer was 6, 3, 5, 4, 8, 7, 10, 1, 9, and 2. She felt pretty good about it. <laughs> I don't know if you've memorized the actual what they are, but I'll put them on the screen for you. Actually, I like this cartoon. It says, so are these guidelines, management proposals, or written in stone policies? What exactly are they? I don't know if you can read it, but if you can, let's read it together, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet your neighbor's things. That's a pretty good list. God's top ten. Now, the hillbilly's Ten Commandments, if you're interested, sort of simplifies it. Just one God, put nothing before God. Watch your mouth. Get yourself to Sunday meeting. Honor your mom and pa. No killing. No fooling around with another fellow's gal. Don't take what ain't yours. No telling tales or gossiping. Don't be hankering with your buddy's stuff. The Ten Commandments. 
I like this. Basically, they're God's one or ten step program. Yeah, they're important, aren't they? They're important because they deal with our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others. No matter how we simplify it, whether it's hillbilly or country or whatever it is, we get it. We know what they are. The question is, do we do it? Do we follow it? Is it important? Do we live our lives in such a way that beyond rules, we, we focus on the giver of the rules? See, God didn't do it to make us miserable. He gave it to make us more like the original plan with Adam and Eve so long in the garden before sin came. They're not man-made rules, but God gives them to make us holy and happy. When we follow those, and when we fulfill the scriptures as Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, we're actually fulfilling what God always wanted us to do. In Exodus chapter 32, it says this, Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. See, the Ten Commandments are God's doing. They're about effective living. They're at the heart of every effective legal system. Did you know that the Ten Commandments are about the only thing that Christians, Jews, and Muslims agree on? All these religions, these three, accept the Ten Commandments as commandments from God. So let's be clear. The, The Israelites needed the Ten Commandments, and they're actually called Ten Words. They were commandments, not suggestions. I want to give you a bit of background here with these Ten Words. These words are laws spoken by God. They weren't part of human legislative processes. Moses didn't come up with these ideas because he thought, how am I going to keep one to three million people under my thumb and sort of contained and limit all the bad stuff that can happen as we move through the desert? It wasn't his doing. It was God's. The commandments are said to have been written on two tablets. We know that. But it doesn't mean that there were five commandments on one and five on the other. When we think of commandments, remember, think of a covenant an agreement, two parties involved. And so instead, all ten were written on each tablet. There's two tablets, one having ten and the other having the same ten. The first tablet belonging to God, the lawgiver, and the second tablet belonging to Israel, the recipient. And so the commandments would deal with two basic areas of life. The first four concern the relationship with God, and the second, the relationship with among one another. Now here is a key verse. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. See, that's an important verse in the whole Ten Commandments thing that we need to understand and thank God for. Because it was given out of his love and care, compassion, grace, mercy. He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God is unchanging. And so he wants us, he expects us, because of the cost of his son who was freely given and freely died, to not take life lightly or sin or God's grace. 
Because he wants to do something amazing in each and every one of our lives. That we are fashioned and shaped by all the things. God's living word, the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we serve him to become more like Jesus Christ. Remember they were given out of God's heart of love. For a people that he knew would already sin and continue to sin. But he even gave a second round of tablets. Because the first one, remember Moses smashed when he came down the mountain saw the, how Aaron had fashioned the golden calf. They, the Israelites said, we can't see God, so we want to see God. So they gave all their gold, and Aaron fashioned that, so they broke number two already, even before it came down. God knows our nature, but he knows our need. And so the commandments point that no matter how good we are, we still fall short. So it points to our need of a Savior that God would provide I want to take a look again at the Ten Commandments. In one word, here's what the commandments are about. And this is why I believe they're still important for us today. Because they tell us as we follow Jesus Christ, as we live for him. Not becoming the best version of ourselves, but with God's Holy Spirit, we become more like Christ. All right, Loyalty. You shall have no other gods before me. Worship. You shall not make yourself an idol. Reverence. Don't misuse the name of the God. The name of the Lord. Don't, don't take your relationship with God lightly that you think you can do whatever you want, that he's just there as a backup. Sanctification means being separate, being holy. Take your day of rest. Focus on God. Keep life in perspective the way God wants you to. Respect. Honor your mother and father. Uh, respect again for human life. You shall not murder. Purity. Don't commit adultery. Honesty. Don't steal. Truthfulness. Don't lie. And contentment. Don't cover your, covet your neighbor's things. These are powerful words, aren't they? Because we see the principles behind them and how they can change us if we put them into effect, if they allow them to be part of our lives. And you know what? There's no one perfect here. There's not one person who can live by all the rules and somehow when they die, God will say, well, you made it. You're one out of five billion people. I guess Jesus didn't have to die for you, but he had to die for everyone else. That's not it at all, is it? Jesus had to die for everyone because we are sinners in need of salvation, no matter how many good works or how many commandments we kept. See, God was using this to shape the Israelites into a new nation with new laws and a new way of life. Powerful life changers that would shape them into God's people. Isn't that what you want for yourself? Don't you want to become more like Jesus Christ? That's what God wants. And that is a daily struggle, perhaps, but it's worthwhile that one day we'll hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So these ten words revealed who he was, a holy God. He tells us what sin is. He just puts it right there on paper, on stone, two times, just to make sure that we had it. Even though we sinned, here's your second set. I was listening to a Ren Collective song, and at the cross, there's full of second chances all the time that as Christians, we can keep on coming back to what Jesus did for us, receive forgiveness of sins, knowing that he died, placed in the tomb, resurrected, and gave us his Holy Spirit, that we can keep on going in his direction and being changed. Paul in the New Testament said that we don't work for our salvation. We work out our salvation. See, we need to be saved. Jesus Christ was the, the payment. 
his death on the cross for our salvation. And because we are saved, really that takes a lot of pressure off us, doesn't it? That we don't have to keep the law. And you're probably thinking, well, 10 commandments, that's only 10. But the Pharisees that Jesus addressed in the New Testament, what they did is they added more layers to the commandments. And they, their goal was to live perfectly by keeping all of those extra commandments so that everyone can see how good they were and because they were good, that that was good enough. And Jesus says, no, you've missed the whole point. Let me give you an example. The Pharisees and the teachers, what they did is they competed with one another in strictness, in legalism. They took God's laws of 613 rules and they bolstered these with a whole bunch more added details. 1,521, Philip Yancey in one of his books says, with all these revisions and corrections, not just to the 10, but what the 10 would look like with all the 613 rules. You see where, what they're doing? So the length that they went following all of these facts actually became a burden to everyone else. And for many generations, William Barclay says, he's a commentator, that scribal law was never written down. It was the oral law, and it was handed down in memory of generations of scribes. In the middle of the 3rd century AD, a summary of it was made and codified. That summary is known as the Mishnah, all the extra layers. It contains 63 tractates on various subjects of the law, and in English makes a book of almost 800 pages of added explanations, all the fine details on what the law was all about, and the expectation that the Pharisees in competition had to live that way. Oh, man, I couldn't do that, could you? Well, let me break it down a bit more. He says, the law was originally given by God, was based on the Ten Commandments, the 1,521, 1,521 emanations or revisions, corrections from the teachers of the law, reduced the commandments to a legalistic code that completely disregarded the principles intended by God. And he gives an example. A good example of this can be seen in the treatment of the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Um, Work had to be defined. And one of the things considered to be work was writing. But how much writing constituted work? Here's what the teachers of the law said. He who writes two letters of the alphabet with his right or with his left hand, whether of one kind or of two kinds, if they are written with different inks or in different languages, is guilty. Even if he should write two letters from forgetfulness, he is guilty. Whether he has written them with ink or with paint, red chalk, vitriol, or anything which makes a permanent mark. Also, he that writes on two walls that form an angle or on two tablets of his account book so that they can be read together is guilty. But if anyone writes with a dark fluid, with fruit juice, or in the dust of the road, or in sand, or in anything which does not make a permanent mark, he is not guilty. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? If he writes one letter on the ground and one on the wall of the house or on two pages of a book so they cannot be read together, he is not guilty. Imagine trying to text today with different phones in different places that you can't put it all together. (laughs) It's like impossible, right? But if that's what it takes to get into heaven, I guess we have to do that. They just added such a burden upon themselves and everyone else because they took the law, what God intended it for, and made it about them working for salvation, and they missed the whole point. It sounds pretty bizarre, but there's people who miss the point today. 
They think they're good enough and they do enough good works that God will let them in because they're good people. But Jesus had to die for good people as well as other good people who sinned and knew it. See, we're all not good people. We are all sinners that need to be saved by grace. So they really missed the point of the law. They had 613 points and missed the point. Not only did they have 613 points and miss the point, they added another 1,521 breakdown smaller points, which really, if you think about it, made the laws pointless, right? Well, the Ten Commandments, what does the Bible say about the Ten Commandments? James 2 verse 8 says it's the royal law. Deuteronomy says they were spoken by God. Exodus 31 was written with the finger of God. In Exodus 40 and Hebrews 9 was placed inside the ark. That's pretty important. Psalms 111 verse 7 and 8 is to stand forever and ever. In Matthew 5, we read that the commandments were not destroyed by Christ. He came to fulfill them. So the commandments are important. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the laws of the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus also said, If you love me, keep my commands. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Well, Jesus Christ came to fulfill the commandments. He came to reveal God's original plan in person and lived amongst us, keeping all the laws. He was perfect. But yet, he wanted them all to point to himself so we can see that there's hope for us in the midst of our failures and trying to keep all the commands. The commands point us to our need to be saved. So here's an interesting comparison. Verse or Number one, what was the first commandment? Do not worship any other gods. Jesus said, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In regards to do not make idols of any kind, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. In the third command, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Jesus said, don't make any vows. If you say by heaven, it is a sacred vow because heaven is God's throne. The fourth commandment about keeping the Sabbath holy Jesus said the Sabbath was made to benefit people and not people to benefit the Sabbath. And I, the Son of Man, am master even of the Sabbath. So those are the first four commandments that Jesus is referring to in the relationship vertically with God. In the scripture of love the Lord your God. As we love him in those ways, we're completing the the great commandment. But then there's the second part, and your neighbor as yourself. So that's the second part Numbers 5 to 10 of the Ten Commandments. Honor your mother and father. Jesus said, if you love your father and mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Number 6, do not murder. If you're angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Number 7, do do not commit adultery. Anyone who even looks at a woman with lust in his eye has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Number 8, do not steal. Jesus said, if your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Number nine, don't testify falsely against your neighbor. Jesus said you must give an account on judgment day of every idle word that you speak. And number 10, do not covet. Jesus said beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. See, he does fulfill it. He does point the way. And then he dies for us because he knows we've lost our way. That we can't save ourselves. And he still 
the God full of grace and truth, a merciful, gracious high priest who died for sinners like you and me. So we don't have to worry about keeping the law. We follow Jesus Christ and live for him, and we will fulfill those things if our heart is right vertically with God and our heart and how we respond is right with others. Let me just wrap this up. Paul in Romans 7 verse 12 says, But still the law itself is holy and its commands are holy and right and good. When we look at the law of God, we see his nature and his will for us. In the Old Testament and through Jesus Christ in the New, the purpose is to guard us from sin and to guide us to holiness. We also come to terms that we are sinners, just like everyone else, and we need forgiveness, which brings freedom, doesn't it? Forgiveness brings freedom, that there's hope and that there's a life that we can live. So if the law can't save us and Jesus can, who or what are you following today? Let Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, be the change agent in your life, that you can be separate, that you can bring honor and glory to God. Not because in the natural we're perfect, but in spite of how imperfect we are, people can see God's perfect work in our life as he shapes us to become more like Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you for your word in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that we, and it might take us the rest of our lives and and still then we may not understand it all, but we get the big picture of your love for us in our desperate humanity that is so sinful that we can't save ourselves, you made a way where there seemed to be no way. Instead of being buried by the sins that we commit on a daily basis, that it just becomes so overwhelming that we can't see the light. Jesus, you came as the light of the world, as the bread of life, as as the one who would be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. You came in human form to be that physical sacrifice on the cross so that our sins could be paid for, that we can have a right relationship with you and a right relationship with others. Help us. Forgive us. Change us, we pray. Become more like your son, Jesus Christ, whatever it takes. But we want to be moldable. We want to be free. We want to be used by you and point people to Jesus. So help us by your Holy Spirit for that to happen. And everyone said, amen. I'm going to invite those who are preparing for communion to come. Again, if you're visiting with us and you're a Christian, we invite you to join. We do it a little differently. There are actually two cups. The top is the juice and the bottom is the bread. And so please take two and then just wait until the servers come back and then we'll join in together as as family. So as they come, and in a few moments I will serve them and then I'm going to read some scripture from Galatians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 2, just focusing on how we're made alive in Christ, that yes, we are sinners, but that God does some amazing things in our life as we put our faith and our trust in him.
So as the emblems are being passed, I just listen to the scripture that I share with you today. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if none, if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. If there is a conflict then between God's law and God's promises, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our garden until Christ came. It protected us so we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Let me read from Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedient and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him with the heavenly realms, in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he has planned for us long ago. May God bless the reading of his word. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. Then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take together. I'm going to invite you to stand in our closing prayer. And our closing prayer is going to be the Lord's Prayer. It's a great prayer. It covers everything, doesn't it? And as we're mindful from the Old Testament how God wanted them to live because he loved them so much and how we know how much God loved that he provided his own son, Jesus, that we are to live for him now, today, for the rest of our lives. Let's pray this prayer together as our closing prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Volunteers and everyone else is invited to join in the fellowship in the foyer. Um, Get to know about one another's ministries and... And just be an encouragement to one another. God bless you.